Ladies and gentlemen, as a capitalist, um, may I start with gratitude. May I thank all of the Patreon uh, supporters. Um, I'm enjoying uh, reaching out to those in the John Galt category. And I look forward to, to more of you joining us. We're doing mentoring sessions and uh, curiosity sessions. Um, and, and your great support makes this uh, programming uh, possible. Um, and for everyone else, we hope you enjoy uh, the first 30 minutes. And then I'm afraid we will then go beyond uh, the firewall. Uh, today, today we have Sir Tom. The Brits are always sirs, and, and this is definitely a sir. This is my my ex. Uh, it, how has I got too many exes? Um, my ex investment partner, uh, the, the the genius with numbers, the the rascal, the terrier, the person who has the audacity to give me the finger and say, "As a capitalist, you're talking rubbish." I I, I speak, of course of the global macro hedge fund manager out of London, Tom uh, Roderick. Um, and we're going to have a catch up. We've been, we've been speaking over the last 18 months. We've, we've had a, a series of these conversations which have coincided with the, the very rapid um, monetary tightening that we've seen globally. Did it come too late? Um, Tom, great seeing you again oh thank you for having me here it's been it's been a while actually it's been i think it was before christmas we spoke last uh on here so it's uh yeah it's a good to, good to catch up again and uh good to see uh your new uh, business endeavors uh, are going well yeah it's such a pity you won't be able to join us at the asset capitalist retreat folks we kick off on monday the 21st of august but uh we have uh, wonderful guests arriving over the weekend for a glorious week in the sunshine of uh, a fun frolics and I hope intellectual kind of curiosity. Um, sadly, Tom, I think is going to be. Um, I don't know. What are you doing? You're you're on holiday somewhere. Yeah, I'm away. I'm away. It's, uh, not not entirely sure where. Yeah, it's southern Italy, I think. Southern. It should be St. Bars. Come to change your plans. Anyway, uh, we were talking off camera. And so, Tom, uh, management is all about, hedge fund management is about um, um, establishing narrative. Narrative is just another word for prejudice. Um, Tom is full of prejudice. Uh, he was telling me that his, his top three positions would be the anticipation and the speculation, profitable speculation from further weakness in China. And that would be represented by a short, the red cabbage. He'd be long dollars and short, uh, the CNH, the Remimbi. Um, he's also a fellow who believes that the, heavens, I was reading some nonsense in the Financial Times today from institutional investors in the British gilts market who say, oh, it's too hot. Uh, Tom says, no, it's not. That's that's what we get paid to do. We get paid to touch the hot plates on the oven. Uh, so Tom believes that we could see a normalization um, and that the UK inflation is an outlier set to see some mean reversion, the global norm. And then to contradict himself somewhat, I believe, but 
whatever. He's a pair. He, he believes that the Japanese yen rates at the 10-year um, are going higher. Now, Tom, I've been trying to steer my, my beloved tribe um, who are active in speculating and, and trying to protect their wealth with, in, in risk assets. And I've been trying to kind of make them think along the lines that we do in hedge funds. Um, the caricature might be the permanent portfolio, uh, you know, the, the quadratic expression of risk where we divide it into to four sections, which roughly may be equities, uh, risk-free fixed income, Risk-free, of course, always people bride at that suggestion. Um, real assets or alternative assets. And, of course, finally, cash. But cash being something which could capture your Renminbi uh, short position. So I wonder maybe could, could you kind of where, – where would the folks know where I am positioned, if you will, going around that global macro compass? Could you maybe talk about how you would be setting up these prejudices – within a kind of structure, a structure which is designed for you to die another day, a structure which is designed to limit the amount of daily intervention. You know, we don't wish, we wish to minimize the number of decisions. Um, and hence we get, one could say it's, it's just fancy talk for diversification. I, I think it's more than that, but what do you say? Um, well, I'm not sure. I, I don't really generally tend to think in that, kind of quadrant framework. And I think often you have, um, you know, different countries in the world in different places in that quadrant. And so, you know, to take China to start with, I think China is in a very, very different place to the US right now. You know, you look, you, you, you've you got China's close to deflation. Um, their stock market has been a bit of a disaster uh, over the last six months, certainly massively underperformed the rest of the world. Um, they're seeing currency depreciation, they're seeing rates coming significantly lower, and just generally a very, very underwhelming set of data. Uh, and, you know, they're still, they're still suffering from both their long-term property bubble and the, the pain that was caused to their economy during COVID. Whereas you look at the US, you've got inflation very high, although admittedly falling. You've got a massive stock market rally uh, led by the Nasdaq. Um, you've got um, GDP sort of, you know, still going up, but people are getting a bit worried. And so I, I think that, I think there are very, very different points. Like where you put those two, two countries on a quadrant, I'm not really too sure. But I think, you know, you take each country as it is and you try and find asymmetric trade expressions uh, wherever you can. And, you know, you Quite, but, but Tom, this is it, the quadratic um, formulation is not meant. It's, it's designed at the macro level. Um, it's risk, risk asset categorization. And so you I mean, to my mind, it seems simple that, you know, for instance, you could have. Um, I mean, for me, I, I, I would have some nowhere greater than between 15 and 20%, but I would be allocated to, to NASDAQ. It's, it's surging. And this is an opportunity to, to ride on the coattails. I wouldn't have 100% of my portfolio. Um, but in another quadrant, in another global macro corridor, I could have a very large 
um, long dollar short CNH position. They would be mutually consistent, and they would be captured by that by that uh, framework. Um, so, so, so you're talking about you're talking about having a permanent representation with different aspects, or are you talking about pivoting across four different permanent, categories? Drop, drop the, the permanent is, is simply um, uh, a, a brand. Uh, you know, it, it's simply, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a misleading. Uh, I'm, t- I'm talking essentially about framework advised by Ray Dalio um, in order to organize his risk-taking um, consistently diversified such that he's in control of his destiny. Um, but it, it draws out, like, here we are, we began with your prejudice, and we have to find, again, I keep trying to encourage people to find the framework to hold it all together rather than just, you know, betting, betting, betting it all in the house. Yeah, well, I, like, I guess, like, you know, what my my risk-taking does all, all sort of come from, a common narrative, well, at least a, a couple of common narratives. And I guess those common narratives are firstly that um, inflation is going to be more persistent than everyone expects. Um, and that sort of guides me to be more short fixed income, um, to expect uh, yields on bonds to continue to go up in general, um, and also to be kind of worried uh about equities because if um, if inflation is going to be higher, demand is going to be stickier than people expect. Then you could see further rate hikes. And I know that I know that's not the camp that you're in, uh, but that's the camp that I'm in. And on the other side of it, uh, you know, I think there are opportunities in certain places, like you mentioned in the UK, where rate expectations for the middle of next year went up to six and a half percent. And of course, the UK is a market where um, residential mortgages are on a very, very short-term rollover compared to the rest of the world, you know, the, between two and five years. Let's say the average is like, I don't know, two and a half years. Um, and so you have a very quick pass-through of rents. And, you know, there I see opportunities receiving. Um, partially- Hold on. Hold on. You, 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 don't, you don't have a quick pass-through of rates for you two years. quick pass-through. Two yeah, years is quick. Really, for two no, well, hold on. But for for two years, the banking Bank of England can go from zero to to four. Mm. You won't if if you've taken a mortgage out in twenty twenty one fixed for two years, your monthly outlay doesn't change, and so you are uh, protected. Like the the problem I perceive with the UK is that it comes with a two year lag. Like there's nothing. There's been nothing for two years, and now it's bang, and now it hits. Well, you. but look at the US. The, U- the US generally people take thirty-year fixed rate mortgages. Uh, in the UK, the average is about two and a half, and so the past. Oh, they're, they're fundamentally they're fundamentally different. Yeah, the uh, the risk in the US has been pretty much transferred to the capital markets, you know, and they accept that, and there's a return and there's a loss depending on your skill set. Uh, the household sector is protected you know the household sector was only vulnerable um 20 years ago when you know when there were teaser rates and and you could sit there for for two years and pretend at the wrong rate um and and when it when it came back to where it should have been higher then then we we suffered the stress but my, my point to you is that monetary policy in the united kingdom 
was made, if you will, less effective by the presence of the the abundance of two-year fixed rates, which immunize the household sector from the rate hike. Well, that's, that's, that's still pretty low compared to the rest of the world. Like, to, But to, to come back to the US SAC, um, I think one thing that people forget about the US mortgage market is you know, it's on, you, you, you fix for 30 years. Uh, if rates go down, you can remortgage and reset your mortgage lower. There's no reset yeah. on the way up. And so it's a ratchet. You go, you know, your rate, as, as, as you've seen a, um, a rally in bond markets and rates go lower over time, you've gone bam, 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 bam. Um, and on the way up, you're locked in for 30 years. And so the vast majority of US mortgages do not see the impact of rate hikes. You know, so people, so so so, so there's pass through of rates one way, and there isn't pass through the other way for thirty years. Whereas in the whereas in the UK, you know, if you have you know kept rates high for a year, you're likely to see forty percent of households having taken out new mortgages at higher rates. And so that's what I mean that the, the pass through of mortgage rates is much higher than elsewhere. Like there are some countries, I think it's Australia where. There's a lot of kind of floating rate mortgages, but you know, in most of the world, like the the kind of the pass through and the and the reset term is 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 similar to the UK or you know even even longer. No, I mean we agree. My, you know, my, my but my point is that the I mean I'm no fan of the Bank of England, but um, the hiking cycle for the first eighteen months to twenty four months. Uh, was largely negated by the popularity of the fixed rates. Now, the danger now is is clear and evident. The 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 heightening comes through with a two year lag, but but boy, when it comes through, it explodes onto the UK household sector. So again, I mean, I agree with you, but it, it drips um, through. There's no, there's no cliff, right? It drips through over time. So we're, we're already it's, it's a lot of people have already had to reset the quarterly increase. I mean, the, the the quarterly roll on the thing is is large. I mean, it's about I think twenty four percent of of those mortgages are subject to you know repricing every quarter. Yeah, so, so every quarter you get a new set of people who experience that pain of higher rates, and so there's like a gradual effect um, with a lag yeah. um, from what the bank where the Bank of England sets policy, and the, you know this. The, 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 you know, the attraction of the receiving of rates just now in the UK is made clear by, you know, the silly comments from silly institutional investors like, oh, UK is just, you know, just something not right about it. It's like, guys, you've got to understand the damn mortgage market, right? You know, monetary policy is now, is now going to be very, very effective. Inflation is, you know, we saw we got the print today. Inflation is now coming in. Monetary policy is going to be very effective. Um, you want to be receiving. That, I mean, that, that's principally, I, I yeah. imagine. Like, I, um, I think, I think the thing is in the UK. Up. Like, I agree. It, it, it's, it's the the rate hikes have taken a while to take effect, and I, I think that's for a number of reasons. Like, you know, first, as we talked about, um, the lag um, because of mortgages. Secondly, inflation has been much higher due to you know a lot of Brexit related. Um, changes on the border kind of coming in just when inflation was at its worst and so kind of exacerbating that and kind of slowing the return of inflation um, back down to where we've seen in the US and in Europe. 
And also the UK just did a lot more fiscal stimulus during COVID than, you know, certainly compared to the rest of Europe. Um, they, you know, they, pr- they, they printed more and they, they gave more checks to people. And the, the last thing I was going to say is that um, they have a bigger, they have a much bigger labor market issue than the rest of Europe because, you know, again, uh, Brexit related um, and people went home over COVID. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a, there's a lack of labor. There's a lack of labor in the UK. And so the, the pressure on uh, people through getting fired or through not getting pay rises is much less than it is in Europe. And so you've got this, you've you just got like a, all of these different factors adding together. But ultimately, you know, in a couple of years, should, does that mean that, you know, the long rate, the long run rate of inflation will be higher in the UK? Probably not. You know, these Brexit related food issues can be fixed it's just a, it's a bunch of red tape people need to work out how to get through it um if the price of food is higher in europe than it is in the uk someone will make money out of that and will slowly bring the price down um that labor shortage will fix itself one way or another either through more immigration or through um a recession caused by the impact of these of these rate hikes and so so ultimately uh the for the market, I, I think the market is wrong in thinking that the long run rate of UK inflation is going to be higher than elsewhere. I think it's just, you know, the temporary spike in inflation is higher. And that's what makes it a good receive compared to everywhere else. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I would note that the Brexit thing gets exaggerated. And I even kind of walked into it a little bit on, on Twitter. Um, and, and you know, everyone was quick to say, I mean, check the, the immigration is running high. I mean, that's kind of why it's a political issue. But not issue. high I mean, enough. 600,000. Not high enough. Maybe not high enough. And we I think know. the thing is, I think there's um, a lot of EU uh, migrants, uh, workers, who who were not re- really being properly recorded. And so I think, in fact, if you look at the past data, the past data suggests a lower rate of migration to the UK than was probably actually true. And so, you know, we see high migration now because everyone who comes in, you know, has to be accounted for, whereas before that wasn't the case. And so I think actually mm. those numbers sort of tell a bit of a lie. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was talking, last week's guest, Professor Steve Hanke, uh, a wonderful gentleman, he has Steve's rule of 95, uh, 95% of what you read in the, in the financial press is just complete nonsense. And, uh, yeah, I was choking on my breakfast today. Well, I, I think I took, two, I, I kind of copied and pasted two two quotes. One, which was just a sad reflection of uh, central bank, the role of central banks today, and, and the lapdogs of the guys and girls managing these funds. There was a comment from the CIO of one big asset management group, which has one point two trillion dollars of assets, and it's like, oh, you know, the Bank of England. You know, the problem is they've got a checkered history in sending comforting signals to investors it's like is where is money in that sentence right they have a checkered history in sending comforting comforting signals that guy is responsible for 1300 billion dollars and he is responsible for tripe absolute tripe and then you had and I have to say, I don't want to get into a fight with him, but you know, what's he called? The Egyptian, the former Pimco economist. I, I, I really, yeah. Uh, I really don't know his role in the financial universe, except 
to be dull and to to give gravitas to the boards of institutions that are like seeking to yeah, I don't know I don't I think, I think if, you, if you want to know again, what the consensus is uh, read what he says you'll probably he's, he's probably he's a good route to that so the current according to Erchrenian or whatever the current phase of high UK inflation is similar to the 1970s well no it is you know um, again uh, I don't know if you've seen me mention the my pinup, my 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 wonderful North Star just now, Sylvania Tenrero, uh, who just stepped down from the MPC uh, rate setting committee, and and I've I've given reference previously to her valedictum speech, having stepped down, she's got amazing charts. Um, the energy shock to the UK uh, over the Ukrainian conflict was greater in magnitude to the oil shocks of the nineteen seventies. Um, and yet the inflation peak, even the grotesque peak, is running at 50% of its peak levels in the 70s. So it is patently not enduring something similar to the 1970s. But anyway, Tom, so um, well, I, 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 this I, is going to be very... I was just going to say, hmm. I, had a, I had a comment Sorry. on the energy thing. Um, so, you know, obviously that's mainly... Due to gas prices, and if you look where if you look at where um, storage levels are right now, um, it's significantly ahead of like five year average for European storage. And so, the fact is, like, there isn't you know the the tanks are going to be full. It's just a question: are they going to be full the start of September or are they going to be full the end of October? Like, they're going to be full for winter. So there's like there's not much more that can be done in terms of gas, and so. I don't know. Like my kind of view on that is, you know, there's a, there's always the prospect of some kind of a ceasefire in Ukraine. Um, obviously, that would have a significant negative impact on the price of energy. Um, and yeah, so so I think I think the energy situation in the UK and in Europe is looking a lot lot better than people expected. You know, if you'd have told if you'd have, if we'd have had this conversation a year ago, and we would have tried to guess what the price of European gas would be right now, we would have not come anywhere close. And so, that's, so it's been yeah, a good news story. You'd be too high. You'd be too high. Um, yeah, but again, with regard to the the exceptionalism of British inflation, nowhere do you read that the most exposed sovereign European sovereign nation um, to having that gas as the principal feedstock was the UK. Okay. I mean, so the UK would have a higher, uh, it would have a higher impact and it has had a higher impact. Secondly, you know, the UK and, and other countries um, had to subsidize the surge. Um, and, and, and that was arguably a good thing. Um, but having eaten it on the price surge, they'd been very low, uh, very slow to then bring the tariffs back down to follow where nat gas. And I want to say to you, it's only as recently as about no more than 10 days ago that the actual household sector is beginning to receive lower tariffs. You know, it's, it's, it's quarterly contractual or something or six monthly. Um, so again, the British exceptionalism, you know, the, the energy prices are now being passed through. The household sector is about to be a brick's about to hit it. In, in the head. But back to Denrerio, I mean, she was saying, hey, listen, 
and you know, the charge sheet against us, the El Gharenian charge sheet is they were too slow. And he said, and she was like, you know, we can patently reject that. You know, we can, we can model that, you know, you have, um, you, you can s- simulate for uh, the NPC being at 5% in March of last year, not, not today. Today they would be at seven uh, and they would be at five March of last year because with perfect hindsight, you'd have seen Ukraine. You would know the acute sensitivity of natural gas. You would know that natural gas prices were going to surge. You would have known six months before that there, there had been a vaccine that would have kind of pulled us out of the, the horrors of the pandemic slowdown. And so you'd be at five. And, and like I say, and you would have raised steadily to seven presently. And she said, and you model that and it takes for sure it impacts on headline CPI, but it it basically brings it in by two percentage points rather than flaring to what ten point eight or so. It's more like eight point eight. The only difference is now your your best your central economic expectation would be a contraction in British GDP of between three and five percent. So I, I still don't fully buy that they were too slow. I I buy that these were events beyond the control of monetary policy. Right. I, I think they were too slow in reversing QE. Uh, I think in terms of the money supply, it was, you know, particularly when you look at the US, it was kind of ridiculous to carry on QE as long as they did. You know, they knew the vaccine was out. Um, they could see the economy was booming in early 2022. That was the time they could, you know, it could have been reversed a bit more. But yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. Um why not wait and see what happens? I don't. I don't think really any damage was done by waiting. Um, you know, no. as you say, it's it's a couple of percentage points on inflation, um, and presumably GDP would have been lower, um, and may not have come back. And so, you know, if you're not if if you manage to avert an inflationary spiral, that's all you need to do. Like, you know, my personal belief is that. You know, whilst the current kind of wave of inflation is, um, you know, is coming down, longer term, there are factors out there which are going to lead to a respringing back up of inflation. And so, I'm yeah, kind of, I mean, that's, 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 that's a different point. Yeah, I mean, kind of like the supply shock that we saw out of Ukraine and the sort of turned out yeah. to be excess fiscal stimulus. That's a different point. But. No, I did. But that, that, is the, that is the thrust. That is, um, that's the second part of this conversation. And it really is the principal part of this conversation because um, I have access to all of the data and I cannot for the life of me understand why the Fed does not see the absolute enormous and imminent danger of pretty severe global recession. Um, but you see that same data and you draw other conclusions. So, folks, I'm afraid the time is precious. We're getting to that point where um, it's it's VIP access only for the for the Patreons. I'm I'm very sorry, but I would encourage you if you are enticed by our conversation and and you want to know how a, a professional hedge fund manager operating a fund today out of London how he is um, how he is. Um, reaching conclusions which are radically uh, different from asset capitalism, then, then come on, folks, sign up.